It's Friday, and that means it's time to look back at the last seven days and the top local stories that you should know but might have missed. Sit back for our weekly news recap. A judge has issued an order to lift the mask, vaccination, and testing mandates for dozens of school districts across the state, at least temporarily. Chicago Public Schools and Elgin U46 will still require masking, but in other school districts today brings a mixed bag. Starting today, some Catholic schools in the Chicago Archdiocese will be making masks optional. On Monday, February 28th, we will lift the indoor mask requirement for the state of Illinois. Joining me now to go behind this week's headlines is Kelly Bauer, breaking news editor at Block Club Chicago. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. And Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago. Good to have you back, Christian. Hey, how's it going, Sasha? Going well. All right, Illinois, uh, we joined several states in announcing that we'd soon end this mask mandate. Kelly, give us the details. So Governor Pritzker announced earlier this week that with all of our COVID numbers going down, we're on pace to remove the mask mandate by February 28th. Now, people would still need to continue wearing masks in some settings like schools, buses, trains, things like that. Um, But he said largely as long as things continue to look good, we keep seeing hospitalizations and cases fall, that we should be in a place where we can lift that mandate by the end of the month. Well, what's the CDC recommending at this point? So the CDC has definitely had some different opinions. Um, Their director has said that the U.S. just is not in a place yet where it can lift mask mandates, that COVID numbers are still too high. Notably, in Illinois, our numbers are just as high now as they were when the mask mandate was first implemented in August. It's just that they've improved since things were so bad with Omicron. Uh, Okay. What about the vaccine mandates? So in Chicago, officials, after the governor's announcement, They said that, hey, yeah, you know, as long as we're looking good at the end of this month, Chicago can also lift its mask mandate and they will also get rid of other restrictions like the requirement that you have to show proof of vaccination at restaurants and bars, gyms, places like that. But they said that in order for us to do that, we need to get to a place where three out of four metrics, so categories like how many cases per day we have or how many people are hospitalized with covid Those need to be in a low-risk state, and they need to be there for at least two weeks. So I think we could see Chicago come out of this if we make, you know, some pretty big changes the next couple of days. If not, then likely we'd be having our own mandates listed in early March. Sounds like it. Well, there's a group of 11 aldermen saying that the end of the month isn't soon enough. They want the vaccine and the mask requirements dropped by Super Bowl Sunday, as in two days from now. Why the rush, Kelly? Yes, so uh, a small group of aldermen have come forward. They sent a letter to the health department saying that they want those restrictions gone because they want businesses and residents to be able to gather and celebrate for Valentine's Day and Super Bowl Sunday. Um, And we haven't really, the city itself pointed out like, hey, even if we lift Chicago's mask mandate, the state one is still in place. So I don't really think that we're going to see anything come about from that letter. You think this is an attempt to allow bars and restaurants to have more business for the Super Bowl? I think so. But I think the logic there is a little questionable. Um, We know that there are people who aren't happy that the city and state are talking about lifting the mask mandate, the vaccine card mandate. People who are saying that, you know, they don't feel comfortable being in a big space with unvaccinated people, so they don't plan to go out after that point. 
So I don't know that lifting, you know, those restrictions even earlier would actually end up driving a lot of business. I'm curious, Christian, what do you think? Vaccine and mask requirements being lifted by Sunday. Um, You know, there are a lot of people out there who really want masks uh, to be optional and they want these uh, vaccine uh, requirements uh, dropped. I mean, this week I spoke to a lot of parents and students, especially in suburban schools who, you know, really uh, feel like you should follow the science. And it depends on which science yeah. you're following. And and they want, you know, masks optional. Um, they stress that they're not anti-mask. Um, so, you know, I just think it's really a, a slippery slope here, right? We, we, we don't know which way this is going to end up trending if you end up dropping masks. Yeah, catch us up, Christian, on that uh, mask mandate in school districts conversations. And I, I know parents are, are really trying to make sense of that judge's ruling. So tell us what's been happening. All right. So we probably have all heard that last Friday, a downstate judge put a temporary restraining order in place saying that it wasn't the governor's place to have a statewide mask mandate. And so um, now the state, of course, is appealing that. But while that's all going on, it caused some craziness going on for school districts uh, across the state um, who were trying to figure out come Monday what they were going to do. Some school districts ended up having a remote learning day or canceling classes altogether. Others said, look, we're going to keep the mask mandate in place. Others said, we're going to have masks optional. That has led to a lot of protests in front of schools, especially um, in the Archdiocese of Chicago, where we saw at the Queen of Martyrs School that the principal said, we are going to go forward with masks mask optional. But uh, the Archdiocese said, we are not going to lift our mask mandate. And that led to that principal uh, from his words saying that he was put on paid leave and now he believes that he possibly uh, could be terminated. So this has really turned into mm-hmm. sort of back and forth with parents, back and forth with school administrators, and you just don't know how all of this is going to end up playing out. And to sum up what you said earlier, just a lot of strong feelings among parents on, on both sides of this, right? Yeah, it's it's You've got parents who felt for a very long time that they could not speak up because this mask mandate was in place. They felt that they were shamed because they felt that masks should be optional. Uh, When that TRO came down, um, they emerged um, and found out that they there was a lot a lot of like minded people who were living next door. Um, And so that's when they came out in droves. I mean, we saw students doing the same thing um, in, in the northern suburbs. Um, at schools in Vernon Hills and Libertyville. Um, Vernon Hills kind of started it on Monday where kids did a walk out and sort of a walk in without masks. Libertyville followed trying to walk in without masks. And then Mundelein followed as well. And they plan to continue this until there is a mask optional um, position at all of these schools. But a lot of these school districts still feel that we're trying to protect the students. We're trying to protect the staff. And, and there's a lot more to this. I mean, you, you have unions as well, and unions want protections as well, so they need to have those mask mandates there. So, you know, it's it's pretty much a back and forth right now, and who knows, you know, once the statewide mask mandate is, is released amongst schools, um, maybe you'll get some relief, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, what's the governor been saying about all this? Yeah, I mean, he's saying that that's a possibility that that could happen. Of course, we, we've got February 28th for businesses. So it's a complete possibility that we could have masks uh, lifted out of schools. It's just they want to make certain that the numbers are trending in the right direction. 
Um, but again, you've got the other side saying, follow the science. We don't see these numbers going up. Doctors saying that we've got a better handle on COVID than we did uh, back when this first started. They know how to treat people. Um, and, you know, they're still pushing the, the vaccine. And uh, a lot of these schools have high uh, vaccination rates anyway. And I think that's the science that these, I don't want to call them anti-maskers, but mask optional folks are kind of leaning towards mm -hmm. that. Look, most of us have the booster. Most of us have the vaccine. Let's just move forward with making masks optional. If people want to wear masks, go ahead and wear them. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what's going to end up happening. I mean, there's going to be school districts that are not going to lift that at all. And they're just going to keep it in place. Correct. And Kelly, that one of those is Chicago Public Schools. They're going to continue requiring masks despite the judge's ruling. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So also just to add on a little bit to that, um, one of the things Governor Pritzker talked about with schools and masking is that he said he does expect that, you know, the rules around masking in school uh, in schools will be lifted soon. He said he doesn't expect it to be that February 28th date that we're seeing for the mask mandate statewide, but that he does expect it to be within a few weeks of that, as long as, you know, numbers keep trending, like they're saying. Um, and what we're seeing with CPS is, even despite that downstate ruling, CPS immediately came out with a statement and said, no, we have our own mitigation measures we're going to continue to take. They said they're going to continue to require masking in schools, continue testing, continuing to encourage vaccinations. Mm -hmm. So that's been their stance on it. And they haven't said that if and when the state's masking rules are lifted and the city's masking rules are lifted, what their plan will be, if they'll differ from the rest of Chicago or the rest of the state on that. And, and Christian, in other CPS news, for the first time, the district is asking parents to weigh in on next year's calendar what are they proposing for next year? Got two calendars that are going on right now, and I believe that survey is going to um, end sometime today for parents. But um, it, it looks like with the two options that you have, uh, the first option is going to sort of mirror what you have uh, going on right now with uh, everything, both, both calendars starting before Labor Day. But for the first option, that's going to start uh, before August 29th. And they also feel that it's going to have more of an equal distribution of days and weeks across the four academic calendars. Now, that second option actually starts seven days earlier on August 22nd and uh, completing their first semester prior to the winter break on Friday, uh, December 22nd. Now, with that second option, they feel that you have a less even distribution of instructional days and weeks across the four quarters. And what they really want to do is be able to provide some equity there. Uh, but this calendar will match the second one, will match closer what's going on in the suburbs and also at local colleges and universities. And as we know, a lot of parents, just like myself, have kids in, in different schools. Mm -hmm. And you want to make certain that those calendars uh, match. But, right. you know, and a majority of your kids, most likely in Chicago public schools, um, are in Chicago public schools. And, you know, their siblings are in Chicago public schools. So you're trying to find that 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 perfect um, schedule that's going to um, be balanced in a way that it supports everybody uh, within the district. You're listening to the Weekly News Recap here on Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Our panel today includes Kelly Bauer, breaking news editor at Block Club Chicago, and Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago. Sticking with you, Christian, legendary Lincoln Park hot dog stand Wiener Circle, they became a target of the masking chaos as well. What happened? 
They did, and there's a video that, that, that supports what happened there. An unknown man at this point, we don't know, I believe at this point, we don't know who he is, uh, came into Wiener Circle. Wiener Circle goes along with the mask mandate that we have in the state as of right now. He gets upset when he walks in there. We can kind of walk in. We don't hear anything, but he walks in and um, gets into some sort of verbal altercation with the people behind the counter and at one point throws a brick through the window uh, and breaks it also throws snowballs at the workers as well. He had left and come back and actually done damage. Um, so, you know, um, you know, Wiener Circle put that out there. Uh, they spoke, spoke to several different news outlets. They're hoping to identify this person, and I believe they're offering a reward as well. Um, but, you know, this just kind of shows you the tension that's going on with the mask mandate, um, people being upset with this pandemic and just letting their frustrations out on anyone. Yeah, my daughter sent me a video this morning that she took from her bus ride. To, to school of, you know, same thing, an altercation between the bus driver and someone who was shocked that he had to wear a mask. Um, Kelly, where are we right now in terms of COVID cases and, and vaccination rates? So we've seen just tremendous improvement in recent weeks with our numbers. Um, week after week, Chicago has been seeing something like a 50% drop or 40% drop in the number of cases we've had since we did hit a peak um, with Omicron in late December and early January. So now we're back down to a much better place of about 500 um, cases per day, what we're averaging in the city. Statewide, of course, it's more, but we've also seen major improvements there. Um, and with, with the state, we've also seen just vaccinations. So there was a little bit of a bump in vaccinations with the Omicron surge. We saw some people going to get their booster shots or to finish their vaccination series. Um, that has slowed down in recent weeks. And we're still kind of lagging, um, especially among the oldest Chicagoans who are the ones who need vaccinations the most. Dr. Arwady, the city's health department head, has said it's really important to her to make sure that we're targeting those communities that are most vulnerable, mm -hmm. but which have seen lagging vaccination rate, uh, rates, like older folks, and especially people of color in Chicago. So the city's still making a big push to do that and to get people to go out there and get their shots. Before we take a quick pause, a quick check-in with you, Kelly. Several weeks ago, you broke a story about the Center for COVID Control. Do you have any updates? Yeah, so in the time since then, the Center for COVID Control headquarters have been raided by the FBI. They've now been sued by two state attorney generals um, in Minnesota and Washington state. And then this week, actually, California's attorney general also sent the Center for COVID Control a letter and said, you know, we're investigating you. We see that you've been claiming that you will give people results in, you know, like 48 hours or 72 hours. And we want evidence that you've done this. So now this business, which is based out of Chicago and its suburbs, is facing pressure from yet another state entity. Um, and it's, it's closed down for now, but it's just facing a flurry of investigations nationally. Um, so we're keeping a very close eye on what's happening there and what we could see as a result of all this. All right, we'll pick up this conversation in just a moment. That was Kelly Bauer, who's a breaking news editor at Block Club Chicago. Also with us, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5. We'll be right back with plenty more stories for the week, so stay tuned for that. But first, money is being made available in part for victims of the 9-11 attacks. Here's Lisa Labas with more. 
Hey, Sasha. So President Joe Biden has signed an executive order and it splits seven billion dollars in Afghan assets that were frozen in the U.S. to fund humanitarian relief in Afghanistan and also to create a trust fund to compensate September 11th victims. Half the money would remain in the U.S. and be used to fund ongoing litigation by U.S. victims of terrorism. A Taliban spokesperson criticized Biden for not releasing all the money to Afghanistan. At the Olympics, a Ukrainian skeleton athlete flashed a small sign that read no war in Ukraine to the cameras as he finished his run. Vladislav Herkasevich says he only wanted peace for his country. The gesture came as Russia has amassed over 100,000 troops near the border with Ukraine. The International Olympic Committee said there would be no repercussions for the athlete for violating a rule against protests. And officials say car crashes and traffic deaths dropped in the state of Utah after officials there enacted the nation's strictest drunken driving laws. The study is published today by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. It suggests Utah's roads became safer after the state lowered the drunk driving threshold to 0.05 percent blood alcohol content. It is 1223 and this is WBEZ. The singer Tuelo grew up in rural South Africa. Her music is infused with memories of that childhood and of the women in her family that shaped her. There are many, many songs that I've written about not forgetting people, constantly thinking and remembering and working towards their upliftment too. I'll talk with Twello about her debut solo album this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. That's today at 3 o'clock on 91.5 WBEZ. Your smart speaker can make you smarter. Just ask it to play WBEZ to really understand the news and views in Chicago and beyond. Ask your smart speaker to play WBEZ every day. In South Suburban Blue Island. In McKinley Park on Chicago's southwest side. In Effingham, Illinois. I'm Linda Lutton. I'm Jesse Dukes. I'm Dan Mihalopoulos. WBEZ News. We've got you covered. WBEZ is supported by Navage. More information is at navage.com. Also by BMO Harris Bank, the BMO for Black and Latinx Businesses Empowering Small Business Program, offers additional access to funds, educational resources, and networking. More at bmoharris.com slash black and Latinx. 41 degrees, a windy, cloudy day. Rain coming up after 2 o'clock. WBEZ. Back now with more Reset, and you're listening to our weekly news recap, where we take you beyond the headlines of the week's top local stories. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Now, before the break, we talked about the confusion at schools around the state after a judge ruled against mask mandates. We also looked at the latest COVID numbers as Illinois prepares to lift its indoor mask requirement later this month. But there's still so much more to get to. Jonathan Jackson turning upside down the race for Illinois' first congressional seat with word today that he is running to replace the retiring Bobby Rush. Jury selection has been completed in the federal tax fraud trial of a member of a prominent political family. Mayor Lightfoot also said this afternoon the city started seeing a rise in carjackings during the pandemic and said she believes there is a correlation to children being out of school and home doing remote learning. Representative Deb Conroy was forced to close her office after receiving multiple death threats. On our panel this week are Kelly Bauer, breaking news editor at Block Club Chicago, and Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5. All right, time to dive into politics. We are going to start off with a disturbing story where several state lawmakers have received death threats. What are the details, Christian? Well, you know, you've got uh, state rep Deb Conroy shutting down uh, her Villa Park office, and uh, that's because she had gotten threats 
um, death threats that have been coming in. And, you know, there's a lot of divide, as we know, um, in the political landscape that has been going on since Donald Trump, even <laughs> with the Tea Party, if we remember all of that. Um, and uh, she has uh, been been quoted that, you know, she can't explain, you know, to, to people what, you know, what words she has been called um, by constituents um, because they are upset with um, certain legislation she supported and and said that said that legislation supported concentration camps for unvaccinated people, which she said was completely wrong. And this is talking about quarantining as it relates to COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, that led to uh, House Speaker Chris Welch sending a letter to the House Republican leader, Jim Durkin, you know, asking uh, for the record to be set straight and to, you know, try to stop mischaracterizing things and just bring some peace amongst lawmakers, you know, some respect. And, of course, this has kind of turned into a back and forth, which, you know, stops silencing the minority um, because, you know, of course, we are here in a democratic state. And so how did Durkin um, respond to the letter? Well, Durkin responded to the letter saying that, um, you know, uh, he was uh, disappointed uh, in terms of, of uh, what um, uh, House Speaker Welch uh, had said, um, you know, d- disagrees that there, you know, d- d- agrees that there shouldn't be any violence, but also says they should be heard as well um, and stop silencing their voice. Um, so uh, it's sort of this back and forth that will probably end up with um, even more responses and probably um who knows? Maybe a meeting of the mind at at, at some point, but uh, right now it, it appears to be um, you know back and forth um, because uh, Republicans just don't feel they feel they're on the fringe. They feel that they're not supported. They don't feel like their narrative can come out. And so, who knows how this is going to end up playing out? Mm. Let's pivot over to city hall politics. A member of Chicago's Daily Dynasty made news this week. Kelly, what's going on with Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson? So we actually just saw that the case against the alderman has rested. Um, He is accused of wrongly representing his taxes with some money he had gotten from a bank, which helped him save some money um, through the IRS. Now he's been in court all this week. They've been presenting their arguments. Um, and actually, just a little while ago, the defense rested. What they, what prosecutors have said is that he knowingly benefited from this, that he misled authorities in order to save money. Um, but his defense actually called some witnesses who said, no, it's not a matter of knowingly misleading the officials. It's just that the alderman is so frazzled. Um, there was someone, one of his longtime friends, who said that Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson is just overscheduled and a bit disorganized. So that's been his defensive line is just, you know, there's too much on his plate. He mm. might have made some mistakes with his tax forms, but it wasn't on purpose. So they're saying uh, on the defense side of things that he was sloppy and unorganized, just not criminal. Yes, exactly. I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, a member of another legendary Chicago political family also made news this week by officially entering the crowded race to replace Congressman Bobby Rush. Christian, tell us about Jonathan Jackson. Yeah, Jonathan Jackson, the son of the Reverend uh, Jesse Jackson, um, on Monday kicked off his congressional campaign. Um, he's going to uh, wants to replace um, Congressman Bobby Rush and, uh, you know, follow um, in his footsteps. And um, he's been a part of the Rainbow Push Coalition um, 
so far, uh, 15 Democrats on Monday have registered um, for the June 28th primary for that first congressional district. Uh, this is a big seat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, the family has been in politics, but we, we know what happened with uh, Jesse Jackson Jr. and his fall from grace. Um, so we'll have to see what happens here. Uh, Jonathan Jackson speaking in front of Amalgamated Transit Union Local 308. Um, this past week, um, you know, uh, emphasized the place in, in, in black local and national political history in the first uh, uh, congressional district um, and, you know, sending black lawmakers to Congress since 1929, hoping that his place will be solidified with that. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, he's quoted as saying, feeling very much prepared. He's traveled the world with his father, has been by his father's side. Mm-hmm. Um, for a very long time. So um, this is just uh, a next step for him. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's, and, trying you know, to, he's trying to set himself apart, it sounds like. But Christian, I'm curious, do you think that voters are going to see him as the logical heir to his to, to this seat? I don't know. You know, you know, Bobby Rush has had that seat for a very long time. He's been very instrumental. You know, th- this is a man uh, who was a part of activism, Jonathan Jackson, also a part of the activist movement, but he's been at his father's side for a very long period of time. So we just have to wait and see if he can stand on his own. Plus, you've got a crowded field there. So you've got a lot of people who want this seat. And um, so he's going to have a pretty tough fight. Um, you know, it's going to come down uh, to it's going to come down to money. It's going to be come down to uh, he's got name recognition because he's got the the Jackson last name. Are people right. going to associate him with the Reverend Jesse Jackson? Where does Jesse Jackson stand in the city of Chicago right now? He's done a lot around the world. Uh, he's a respected individual. Um, so you know that's going to help him. Um, so we just have to wait and see what's going to what's going to happen with this with this race. But there's a lot of people in it. Or they could also associate him with his disgraced older brother. They could. They could. And, you know, uh, people uh, don't have short memories when it comes to that. And uh, he fell from grace very, very hard, promising political career for Jesse Jackson Jr. And and we saw that just wiped out uh, very quickly uh, with that federal case. So, um, you know, there's been some time since that's happened, you know, and maybe Jonathan is separated from that. And, and, you know, hopefully uh, he'll be able to stand on his own and and achieve that seat and and create his political career. Kelly, there are also some developments in Alderman Ed Burke's corruption case. Can you remind us what the charges were against the alderman? So Alderman Burke has run a law practice. And what prosecutors are alleging is that he put pressure on people, developers who were working in his ward, to steer their business toward his law firm. And then he would help them get the okays they needed at City Hall to do their business. Um, of course, in return, then their business at his law office helped drum up money for him. Um, and what we've seen this week, this has been now a year and a half in the making, if not more. They are still debating about what sort of evidence can eventually be used at his trial, parsing through all that. The big thing this week was wiretaps. So the federal authorities had wiretapped Alderman Burke's uh, phone, have thousands of hours of recordings, I believe, between him and other aldermen and developers, things like that. So Alderman Burke's lawyers are arguing that those things shouldn't be allowed to be used in court, whereas prosecutors are saying that they are key to this case and, you know, they think that it shows that he had his hand out and was putting pressure on developers. So we're still waiting for the judge to make a decision about what evidence, including the wiretaps, can be used. Interesting. 
Meanwhile, politicians continue to struggle to find answers to how to curb violence in this city. Here's Mayor Lightfoot unveiling a controversial new theory for the rise in carjackings. A lot of parents went to work during the day thinking their teenagers were logged on for remote learning only to find something else. I'll be frank and say um, in Chicago, there was a uh, correlation that we believe between remote learning and um, and the rise in carjacking. What was the reaction to her comments, Christian? You know, it, uh, th- that was um, that was interesting, and it's not necessarily something new. We've heard this um, in the past with just crime overall and a lot of juveniles being involved. Um, you know, when kids were pushed towards remote learning in 2020, you know, March, um, and then at the beginning of the school year, there was remote learning going on. There was this um, sort of theory out there that these kids were at home unsupervised, their parents, um, possibly essential workers, had to go to work, and, you know, the computer became their babysitter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids were just going in the wrong direction. Um, you know, it, could could that be the reason that we see this rise in carjackings, you know, prior to all of this? Um, but prior to the pandemic, we saw carjackings as well. Yeah. So that could be part of it. It, you know, definitely could be part of it. Um, but there's a violence issue in Chicago, and it's been here for a very long period of time. I've been uh, covering news in this city for 16 years, and um, I can tell you stories from day one of setting foot into this city uh, that that mirror exactly what we've seen in the past year or so. So, you know, that may be one possible reason for a slight uptick, but, I'm, you know, I'm not certain it's the entire answer. Well, the CPD also made news this week for updating its foot pursuit policy. Quickly tell us, Christian, what changes were made there. Yeah. So um, if we remember, there were two really big cases that uh, happened, 13-year-old Adam Toledo and 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez. And so um, both of these young men um, were gunned down by officers who had chased them. Um, And so they wanted to have an examination of the uh, foot pursuit policy based on a court order deadline that was supposed to happen in the fall. They missed that deadline. So now they have updated it this week. And so they're not going to be supposedly chasing people who have uh, certain misdemeanors. Um, Or if you just approach somebody um, for a traffic offense Mm -hmm. and that person decides to run off. So instead of, and maybe in the past, somebody would have been pulled over for a taillight being out, they would have chased that person down. So now they're going to try to step away from that. Um, The ACLU feels like they have addressed some of these things that are important, but they they still question sort of uh, the levels of the misdemeanors and, and things of that nature. So, you know, it's, it, it, this seems to come to the forefront when you have a high-profile case like an Adam Toledo or an Anthony Alvarez, and that's when we start to look at the foot, foot pursuit policy. Um, but I think you're really not going to know until you have some sort of big case that happens when police, you know, have to chase someone down, what direction are they going to end up going in? You know, uh, if, if it's just a taillight out, are they going to end up chasing that person? Mm-hmm. So we're just going to have to see. Um, unfortunately, because it's going to be sort of reactionary, we're going to have to wait till we get, you know, a big headline case that, that puts this to the test. And the mayor also made news this week for naming a working group to try and reimagine the city's museum campus. Christian, tell us what this is about and, and whether it's a sign that the Bears are really headed for the suburbs. 
Yeah, this has everything to do with the Bears, 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 right? Bears yeah. talking about going to Arlington Heights. Um, and, um, you know, people wondering, will the Bears actually exit? You know, the Bears would, you know, would like to have a Super Bowl. The city, uh, the Chicago area would like to have a Super Bowl, but we don't have a big enough stadium to do that. It's also not covered. And we've got some harsh winters that happen in, in February we're dealing with right now. So, um, you know, the mayor's got a plan for the possibility that the Bears might exit, seriously exit Soldier Field, which is the biggest draw down in the museum campus area, but there's still a lot going on. But you've, you've, you've got to figure out what you're going to do with that area. So she's put a working group together uh, to look at that um, because right now they've moved the Chicago Fire into Soldier Field as well. But is that going to be a big enough draw because it's not going to uh, equate to what the Bears would have brought in. So um, they've got uh, Richard Price, the chairman and CEO of Mesro Financial, um, who was chairing that group, to um, reimagine the, the, the museum campus area where we've got the Edward Planetarium, we've got the Field Museum, and try to bump it up and create more tourism in that area mm-hmm. um, because you've got this big stadium that's probably not going to be filled if the Bears decide to pack up and leave and go into the suburbs. Well, Kelly, uh, switching gears, Chicagoans are already thinking about summer, believe it or not. A new music venue is going to be coming to the historic Morton Salt Complex, and it was just announced uh, its summer lineup. So can you tell us about this place? Yes. Um, so I think everyone's familiar with the Morton Salt Warehouse, right? You would always go by and see that huge sign. Mm-hmm. Um, what they've announced is that it's being turned into what they're dubbing the Salt Shed, and it's going to be a large event venue. Um, and they're already planning for what kind of events they're going to have this spring and this summer once the weather warms up. They're looking at all kinds of concerts and all of that. Um, right now, they are still building out that venue. There was actually a little bit of attention toward it this week because people noticed that the famous Martin Salt uh, sign is actually peeling off. But the developer said that's by design, that they are going to take all of it off and repaint it. Once the weather warms up, they're going to finish their renovations, and they're going to get those concerts going for all Chicago. And a new music festival is coming to Grant Park this summer. Is that right? What do we know about the Sueños Festival, Kelly? So um, it's going to focus on Latin music. It's uh, going to feature headliners Jay Balvin and Ozuna. Um, it's, you know, we've just seen a lot of interest in music, musical events, more and more festivals popping up in Chicago the past few years. So I think this is something that folks will be really excited about. Um, and it's set to take place over Memorial Day weekend. Yes, yeah, it's going to be the city's largest reggaeton festival. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you. Well, that is it for the weekly news recap. We've been talking with Block Club Chicago breaking news editor Kelly Bauer, as well as NBC5 Chicago's Christian Farr. Thank you both. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.